We'll go ahead and open up in a word of prayer this morning, and we'll get into our study. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you, and we just give you praise, Lord, for another opportunity that we have here this morning to uh, gather together as a body of believers. Pray, Lord, that you'd be with us as we worship you, as we uh, sing praises to you today, Lord. Pray that you'd be with us as we study your word. And Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for our study in Daniel and the opportunities that we've had to be in this book, great book. And Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us now as we uh, look into uh, the final verses of this 12th chapter and pray, Lord, that you would help us to just have understanding into your plans for the future, Lord, your plans for Israel, your plans for the coming kingdom. And Lord, we just praise you and thank you so much, Lord, for your sovereignty and for uh, just all the things, all the blessings, Lord, that you've given us in our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 12 this morning. And we're coming to the end of this magnificent book uh, filled with the revelations that God gave to Daniel, which proved to be vital for us, for our understanding of God's plans for the future. As we've seen throughout the last few chapters in Daniel, the messenger of God The angel that has come to Daniel to speak to him has been giving Daniel insight into the future of Israel, things pertaining to Israel's future. He's been telling him about all the conflicts and struggles that they are going to have to endure from Daniel's day all the way until the coming of the Messiah to establish the kingdom. During the middle of that, all through that span of time, as, as we know, is a very long span of time, um, there's going to be conflict. Trials, struggles, persecutions, wars, pain and suffering, and ultimately, there will be a great tribulation at the end that will be the worst conflict that the world has ever seen. And that is what Israel has in store for them in the future as the angel is relating these truths to Daniel. Now we know that all of this will occur because we have it right here. But there is still a lot that we don't know about it. In our studies, we've seen that Antichrist will arise, but we don't know who the Antichrist is. I know some people would claim that they do, but we don't know who the Antichrist is. We don't know who he is, how exactly he will come about. He may be someone who's living today. He may not be alive for another 200 years. We just don't know that. We know that there will be kingdoms from the north and from the south and from the east, and they will play significant roles throughout the tribulation period, but we can't say with certainty what countries will make up those kingdoms. We can talk about Russia, we can talk about China, we can talk about Iran, but we don't even know if those countries as we know them today are going to exist when all these things take place. We know that the Roman Empire will someday be revived in the form of a 10-nation confederacy. But we don't have all the details of how that's going to come about. There are many things about these future events that are still a mystery even to us. Because God has not chosen to reveal all the details about them. But what he has chosen to reveal, we pour over and we study and we take in. and, And that's important for us to do so. Daniel was a man who was mightily gifted by God. He was blessed by him. But you know, we have even more information on these things to come, these things that the angel was giving to Daniel than what Daniel had. Daniel had these wonderful messages that we find in this book, but we have been given 
the information from New Testament sources, such as the teachings of Christ, the revelation given to John, that give us even more information about these things that we've been looking at. We look at these things at times and we think that we get frustrated over trying to sort this stuff out. Because every time, every, anybody that's studied these things at some point has gotten frustrated. What does all this mean? But we have to think just how Daniel must have felt when he was getting this information. This was pretty much all that he had. He wasn't given the complete picture of all of this. And he also didn't have a large portion of it that he could look back on and see in a historical setting like we can today. The book of 1 Peter actually mentions this. Mentions this understanding that the Old Testament prophets longed for but simply didn't have when they prophesied at times. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter makes mention of the salvation that comes through the blood of Christ, through his death and resurrection. But the details of this salvation, and particularly the timing of that salvation, were not understood by even those that were prophesying of this in the Old Testament. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.10, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The Old Testament prophets would search for these answers, but they didn't have all the details because God chose to keep this a mystery even to them. They didn't see how Christ would come and suffer and die and still be the ruler of the world manifesting the very glory of God. We understand that because it has been revealed to us. More revelation has been given to us, but again, they didn't have all those answers. The point I'm trying to make is that even though this is a prophecy this is incredible information that was given to Daniel, and he says that he understood what had been given back in, in chapter 10, verse 1. He still had questions about these things that were given to him, and we'll see that in our context uh, or in our text today. Now, in the final section in Daniel, there will be questions that arise from Daniel and even from some of the angels that are there with him. And what I want us to see in that is that God is the one who is sovereignty in control. God is the one who holds all the cards. He is the one that has this all in mind because this is his plan. He has given us some insight and understanding into that plan. He has revealed some here and some there, but there's still some that even we today don't all know. He hasn't revealed it all, and there are aspects of it that he has kept even for himself. And make no mistake, we will not be able to figure them out. They aren't pieces of a puzzle that we're going to be able to find on our own. I know we, we look at things going on around us, and we, we make assumptions, we try to, we try to piece things together, and, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do, but I think any time that we start looking at, at nations and events and things like that that are going on around us in a, um, in a setting today, we have to keep in mind that just because it looks like something may be happening and then it falls apart, that doesn't shake our faith in what God has revealed. That just means, oh, we were wrong. We didn't know that's not what God had in mind. 
So we're not gonna be able to figure it all out. But when God is good and ready to provide these details, when God is good and ready to set these events in motion, then we'll know that these are the things that were prophesied before. So God is sovereignly in control of the action here, and we are blessed to be given some of the insight into it, and what we have been given is what we study here today. So today we start in verse 4 of Daniel chapter 12, which is really the conclusion of the revelation itself, where the angel says, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. So the angel here in this verse doesn't reveal any more information to Daniel, but he finishes up the revelation with this word of instruction to him. Conceal these words, seal up the book until the end of time. Now, I'm using the New American Standard Bible, so those those are the phrases that are used in the New American Standard. When I would read through this as a kid, I remember reading through Daniel, and this verse gave me chills. I remember getting chills reading this verse. And I remember thinking, conceal these words. Why doesn't God want us to know this? Why doesn't, what is he keeping from us? What does he not want us to know about these things that he's been telling Daniel? But what didn't dawn on me was that I had just read the words in the pages before. He's talking about the words that he'd just given Daniel in chapters 11 and into chapter 12. So they obviously weren't hidden away. We have them right here. We've just spent the last several weeks going over the words that he's talking about, at least in, in the last year or so, studying through the book of Daniels, and that didn't dawn on me. But I was quite concerned that God was hiding something from us. But if you think about it, that's kind of what that verse or that phrase sounds like when it says, conceal the words, seal up the book. Some translations might say, shut up the words, um, instead of conceal, but the flavor of it is still the same. Well. That's not what he's saying to Daniel here. He's not saying hide this. He's not saying dig a hole in the ground, stick it away so that nobody can find it. God isn't revealing something to Daniel so that he could hide it away. He revealed it to Daniel so that he could share it with the world. And that's really what this is indicating. The idea here is not concealment or making it hidden, but he's talking about preserving it. He's talking about the security of it. Preserve these words, lock them up. They need to last until the end of time. We think of documents today like the Declaration of Independence. It's a document that is dear to our country and has been locked up, sealed, and preserved. And anyone that's seen the National Treasure movies knows exactly how that works, right? sits in a titanium container under bulletproof glass surrounded by an inert argon gas and at night when it's no longer on display it's lowered 22 feet into a steel vault. Now I don't know if all that's true or not. Uh, I know I think that's what was in the movie. Um, But it is a document that is kept in extremely controlled airtight environment, right? It is very well preserved and it is very well secured. And why is that? Because it's a very important document, right? It's a document that someone finally said, you know what, this document should be concealed and sealed, preserved for all time so that nothing happens to it. Well, really, that's what the angel is telling Daniel here. These words are important. They are some of the most important words that you'll ever hear. And they need to be preserved until the end of time. 
Back in verse 35 of chapter 11, we saw that Israel was going to be refined, purged, and purified until the end time, it said there. Then in the next 10 verses, we saw what will take place during the end time. In verse 1 of chapter 12, we saw that at that same time, there will be great distress before the nation of Israel will be saved. And now we read that the words that Daniel had just received need to be preserved for what time? The end of time. This would be that same time period. These words need to be preserved until that time period when all these things will occur. Why? Because these words primarily were not for Daniel, nor for the Jews living during his time. These words, especially those in the latter part of the prophecy, are for those who will be living during that time. This message is a message for those in the tribulation. As we mentioned before, Daniel heard it and understood it to a point, but he isn't getting it all. We can read these words. We can understand more of it than Daniel did. But even we aren't still going to understand all of it. There are some things that we still don't know. But who will know them? Those people that live through it will understand them even better than any of us. Daniel heard these words, but he couldn't put places and names and countries to the events in chapter 11, right? We can because we know these things have already happened. Daniel didn't know Artaxerxes. That name had no meaning for him, but we do. He didn't know Alexander the Great. We know Alexander the Great. He didn't know Antiochus the Great. He didn't know Antiochus Epiphanes. We know who these guys are. Daniel had no clue who they were. But today, we have more knowledge about them. But when we look at those last 10 verses in chapter 11, we see references that we can't put places and names and countries to. Not for sure. But those in the tribulation will be able to do that. They will be able to take the book of Daniel, and I would say the book of Revelation as well, and start filling in names, places, countries that we can't today. See how this works? This, this message is really for them. To show them what's been happening all along, to reveal to them what God has been detailing from day one, from way back in Daniel's day, they will have it all right here in front of them. Now, they won't get it on their own. There is still an element of the Holy Spirit that will have to give them knowledge and understanding that has to be accounted for here. But at this time, God will have turned his attention back to the nation of Israel, and he will be drawing the nation back to himself. If you remember when we talked in our last study, we saw that during this seven-year time period, there will be many saved. People, mostly Jews, but Gentiles as well, will hear the gospel, understand its message, and there will be people being saved during this time frame. And it's quite possible, and I'd say probable, that Daniel's book will be used in a mighty way during this time. These people that are getting saved, what are they going to want? They're going to want answers. What is going on around us? They're going to find scripture. People will be able to witness to others and show them right here in Daniel just how these things have been working out. 
And God will use that to bring people to salvation. And that's really what the end of the verse there is indicating, where he says, many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now, the phrase, many will go back and forth, has been interpreted in different ways, but in the context here, what this is indicating is that there will be a hunt for knowledge during this time period. There will be people searching for answers. Three and a half years earlier, there will have been a mass disappearance of people, and no believer was left on earth at that time. Israel was feeling secure for a time, but now their world has fallen apart. And they are heading for the hills. They are fleeing for their lives. And, and as the only leader of the world is out to annihilate them. But not only that, but the natural disasters of the world are raging around them as well. This will be a period of time where people will have lots of questions, many questions about what's going on. And so they will be going back and forth. They will be seeking for knowledge, and knowledge will be found. It will increase. Why will it increase? Because the answers are there. They will find the scriptures either through God leading them there or his witnesses leading them there, but, he, but they will find them. And for the Jews, where would the Jews look first, do you think? Probably the Old Testament scriptures, at least to start the writings of the prophets, and they're going to find the book of Daniel. No doubt they will also find Matthew 24, and they will find the book of Revelation and other passages that talk about the times of the end. But the angel is telling Daniel that, that his writings, all that has been revealed to him, all that he is preserving will play an important part. Knowledge will increase. God will open up their minds to the truth. They will have understanding into these things that have been given. Not everyone will understand, but it says many here. There will be a large-scale salvation that's going on. Many will be saved. Many will die for their faith as well during this time, but they will find true knowledge. You know what this relates back to? Look back at the end of verse 3. Daniel 12, 3, as, and those who lead the many to righteous like the stars forever and ever. If you remember in our last study, those that lead many to righteousness will shine bright in glory, right? They will be the recipients of honor. The angel is relating this to Daniel. Daniel is going to be responsible for not only the work that he was doing while he was alive, but also for the way in which God is going to use his messages, these things that he's writing down, that he's preserving, concealing, um, to bring about the salvation of Israel in the tribulation. There's no doubt in my mind that Daniel is going to be one of the brightest stars in heaven, one of God's all-stars, if you will, the man that God referred to as a man of high esteem in both chapters 9 and 10. So the words that Daniel has received, they are clear to him to a point, but he does not have complete understanding of everything that's been related to him. But that's okay, because they are truly meant for those that will come later and will live through that period of time. However, that doesn't mean that Daniel doesn't have questions about what he's received. I mean, think about this. You read through this scripture, somebody just relates this to you, you're going to have questions in your mind about what all this means. There are many things that we understand, even more than Daniel, but there are still things that we don't know. And so Daniel is going to inquire about them. But before he does, another question 
gets asked. Look at verse 5. It says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the, of the river and the other on that bank of the river. So he's standing there hearing these words, and there are two others standing. So the natural question is, two other what? Well, in the context, since he's talking to an angel, these would be two other angels. And, and where are they standing? One on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. So turn back with me a couple chapters to chapter 10. I know it's been a little while since we looked at the beginning of this uh, prophecy. But this is going back to the original setup for this revelation. Uh, this is context of where Daniel was when he received this. So look at verse 2. Daniel 10.2. In those days I, Daniel had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. And on the 24th day of the first month, while I was by, my, uh, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man dressed in linen. So during this whole time that we've been studying since chapter 10, he has been on the bank of the Tigris River. That's where he is. And that is where the man dressed in linen appeared to him. And you remember who that man was? He was the pre-incarnate Christ, right? Christ himself appeared to Daniel. So Daniel was overwhelmed and he faints and then the angels were there to strengthen him. They helped him up and then one of the angels is the one that gives him this message. So now as the message has been delivered, we see that there are two more angels here. Now we don't know if they just appeared there suddenly or if they had been there the whole time and Daniel just hadn't made mention of them, we really can't say, but they are there, one on this bank and one on the other bank of the Tigris. Now what are the angels doing there? Well, God often used angels to communicate great truth, as he's doing here, right? Uh, somehow be the agent for drawing out truth, asking questions and confirming answers. I mean, one of the angels is giving this to Daniel. Christ himself appeared, but it was an angel giving him this message. Um, but also there's something to be said about the way in which truth is confirmed by witnesses. And oftentimes two witnesses were required to validate something as being true. And I'd say it's possible that these two angels here are standing as witnesses to what's going on with this message being given to Daniel. But in any case, there is angelic involvement. There's at least, there's at least three angels, probably more, um, but there's at least three angels here. And one of these angels then asks a question, but he doesn't ask Daniel, and he doesn't ask the angel who's been speaking. Who does he ask? Look at verse 6. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. He asks the man dressed in linen. And where have we seen the man dressed in linen before? We just read that back in chapter 10. If you go on back in chapter 10, we read on in verse 5, there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body was also like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. This is that same man. This is the pre-incarnate Christ who's, who's there. He's either back or he never left and he's just been allowing the angel to speak to Daniel. But in either case, the man dressed in linen is still there. And where is he? It says he's above the waters. He's not on the bank. He's not standing next to them, but he's between the banks of the river, right? 
There's a precedent for this that we've seen before back in chapter eight. When Daniel was seeing the angel Gabriel at that time, there came a voice from between the banks of the river in verse 16 of chapter eight. It says, and I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Uli. And if you're between the banks, where are you? You're above the river, right? And he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. Now, in that passage, Daniel did not see who was speaking. There's no indication he saw who was speaking, but it was a voice that could command God's personal PR man, Gabriel, his angelic messenger, Gabriel. And so I think it's obvious that that was God himself speaking above the river. So once again, we're seeing God taking his place over the river that's in view, and that would be the most prominent place in this setting here. So Christ is back in this picture, and one of the angels speaks to him. In verse six, he asks him, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? The angel has a question about all this. He doesn't know the answer to what's going on. He's just as curious as Daniel is about it. And you notice he's not aware of the timing of these events. I don't know about you, but when I think of angels, I think of angels as, you know, they've got all the information, right? So you might ask yourself, well, how can that be? He's an angel. Why, why would he be asking questions? He came with the Lord. Doesn't he know all these things? Well, we need to realize that angels don't have insight into everything. And in some cases, I think angels have less insight than even we do. Jesus himself, in the passage in Matthew 24, which we've looked at several times, and we'll be again in next in the next hour, I, I, I believe, I think we are, says this about that time period. Matthew 24, 36 says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. He's talking about the same time period that we've been studying, the day and the hour of the tribulation. Angels don't even know the timing of it. They're not privy to that information. The Apostle Peter in his first epistle tells us that there are things into which angels long to look. Angels are curious about the plans that God has for man and for the earth. They don't know everything. We sometimes think of them as being omniscient like God is, or at least knowing more than we do, but, uh, and they might know some things, and they're obviously going to know some things probably that we don't, but they don't know everything. Only what God has given them to know. And so with this angel, he wants to know about this time. Now, he's not asking when this will take place, but he asks how long it will last. And this is in reference to that tribulation period where there will be distress, when Israel will be rescued, where Antichrist will be running around and subjugating the world. How long will that time period last? We'll look at verse seven. And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. So the man in linen answers. Christ answers the angel, but it's not just a simple answer. He actually raises his hands and he swears to this answer. When, when we make an oath, what do we do? We raise our right hand, right? It's a common, common thing to do. We raise our right hand. When we're in court, we raise our right hand to tell the truth, the whole tooth, truth, nothing but the truth. We used to put our hand on Bibles. I don't know if they do that anymore or not, but you used to put your hand on a Bible and raise your hand. Um, but we raise our hands. Well, that was the same practice that the Jews had. 
And that's how they would make an oath. But here, he doesn't just raise one hand, but he raises both hands, indicating this oath to be even more binding, this oath to be even on a greater level. And not only that, but whom does he swear by? By him who lives forever. So he's swearing here by God the Father. So this isn't a simple answer that he's giving here. The angel may have just as been happy with a, with a straight answer, just, just tell me. But this answer is significant enough that he makes this binding oath. Why? Why is this necessary? Why not just answer the question? I believe it has to do with the horrendous nature and occurrences during this time and what will be going on. Remember how Jesus spoke of this time in Matthew 24, verse 22, where it says, and unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Christ here is swearing that these days will be for a specific length of time and no more. They will not go past this time period. That is a promise by God, an oath sworn between the Son and the Father. And what is that length of time? It's a time period that's very familiar to us. At least it should be very familiar to us, familiar to us at this point in Daniel. It's for a time, times, and half a time. One time, two times, and half a time. Three and a half times, or as we've seen and we've talked about, three and a half years. Back in Daniel chapter 7, turn back to Daniel 7 for a second. When talking about Antichrist... Down in verse 25. It says, and he will speak out against the Most High. And this is talking about the little horn. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Another couple chapters over in chapter 9. In verse 27. Again, Speaking about the Antichrist, it says, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So the middle of one week, week is seven years, middle of the week, three and a half years. This time period could not be any clearer. We've seen it over and over again in our study of Daniel. We've talked about 42 months. That's three and a half years. 1,260 days in the Jewish calendar. That's three and a half years. They're all the same. If you don't take anything else from our study in Daniel, you should have at least have these numbers burned into your brains from all the times that we've talked about them. 42 months, 1,260 days, three and a half years. And what will take place during that time? says at the end of the verse, and this right here explains what it's all about. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. This is the end result. This is what this all leads to. Showering, oh, sorry, shattering the power of the holy people. That's where it all leads. A man or a woman cannot come to the realization in their life that they need a savior unless they understand their total helplessness, their total lack of power over their own eternal destiny. 
A person must come to understand that they are totally powerless before God, before God can work his saving grace in their life. That is true for the individuals, and that is true for Israel. They are a holy people. They're the holy people that's being referred to here. That is what this time period that we have been studying is all about, to bring Israel to the point where they recognize that they are powerless, to finally get them to understand their own helpless and broken condition, and they need to cry out to God for their salvation. The point where they have been shattered, and then these events will be completed. It's a harsh plan, but in reality, it's a loving plan. And it's a wonderful plan that will end up bringing about their salvation. Let's look in Zechariah. Turn over to the prophet Zechariah, the 12th chapter of Zechariah. It's the second to the last book in the Old Testament. So if you're not sure where it is, go to Matthew and go back to two books. We see what uh, he has to say about this time. Zechariah chapter 12. Start in verse 9. It says, And it will come about in that day that I, will set about, um, that I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. This is a beautiful picture here of what will take place. This is the time that they will look upon their own Messiah and they will weep for him. They will mourn for him. The last time the nation of Israel saw their Messiah, what did they do? They crucified him. They pierced him. But at this time, they will understand their sin and mourn over him whom they crucified. This is the picture of their repentance when they have been shattered. Go back in Daniel 12. It's Daniel's turn now to ask a question. Because like the angels, he doesn't understand it all either. So verse 8. As for me, I heard but could not understand... So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? Daniel wants to know more, right? He wants more information. He wants more answers. There's a lot that has been given to him here that's been poured out. And there's obviously a lot more that hasn't been covered. So what else will happen? What will be the outcome? We all have questions, right? We all know, um, we know that we will live with the Lord in glory someday. What will that be like? I don't know. I mean, we haven't been there, right? There's lots of questions we have about these things. If we were standing face to face with the Lord right now, as Daniel was was doing right here, right? If we were standing face to face with the Lord, I'm sure there would be an endless string of questions that that we could come up with for him. And that's the opportunity that Daniel has here to get answers straight from the source. He wants to know more about the outcome of all these things. But he's not going to get the answers that he hoped for. Look at verse 9. And he said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. Until the end time. In a sense, Daniel gets a mild rebuke here, but he also gets words of comfort. 
The Lord answers him, go your way, Daniel. In other words, go away, go on. You're not going to get any more right now. Why? Because these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. The words that you have just been given are the words that he wants those who live at the end of the time to know. This is it for now. As we know, there will be more to come later, but for now, this is all Daniel's getting. On one hand, there's got to be some disappointment on Daniel's part that he's not going to get any more. I'm asking more questions, but they're, no, I've been told, no, you're not getting anything else. But on the other hand, I think this has got to be comforting to him. And in what way? Well, if these words aren't for Daniel, and he's not going to have any more understanding into them, then I think that's an indication that he knew that he wasn't going to be living through this time. He will not live to see this time, and he will be one of those who sleep only to rise again when the time is completed. The fact that Daniel didn't understand, I don't think was a bad thing. He wasn't supposed to understand it all. And you know what? I would say again that we're not supposed to understand it all either. There are many things concerning prophecy that we just will not understand until they come about. And so there comes a point where we just need to realize that. It's interesting and exciting to come up with, again, the theories and the speculations concerning the things that we see going on around us. And I think we should constantly be aware and looking for things and seeing how they line up with Scripture. But there also comes a point where we have to realize that we need to go our way. We need to realize that we're not going to figure it all out beforehand. You know, and we've all heard of the people that come up with, this is the day that the Lord's going to return, and this is the hour, and that, that's not going to happen. We're not going to be able to figure out a mathematical equation that's going to figure out all these things out. We're not going to figure it all out beforehand, and these things will come about when God is good and ready to bring them about. So at this time, we need to be content with what God has revealed to us and trust him for what he hasn't. In verses 10 through 12, he does leave Daniel with some encouraging realities and some comfort concerning these times. He says in verse 10, many will be purged, purified, and refined. And this isn't really anything new, just some of the things restated to Daniel, right? The fact that many will be purged, purified, and refined, we already saw that back in verse 35 of chapter 11. These events are the refining process for Israel. They will be purified and purged during this time with these things that take place. Does that mean that they will all be saved in the end? No. Look at what he says next. But the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. There are two kinds of people. There are the wicked, and there are those with insight. By implication here, the wicked have no insight into the things of God, into the knowledge that has been revealed to Daniel, into this prophecy. They're not going to have insight into that. We've got time. Turn with me over to the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians, in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. I think sometimes we look at things in Scripture and we think to ourselves, why, why can't unbelievers understand this? Why can't they get this? Why don't they know what it is we're talking about when we say some of the things that we say? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is talking about those who are spiritually appraised. 
He's talking about mysteries of God uh, in the beginning of the chapter, things that God has revealed, things that, that weren't previously known, but that God has revealed. And then in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 2, he says this, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. So what's he saying here? He's talking about how anyone can understand what God has revealed. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. No one knows the thoughts of God unless the spirit of God reveals those thoughts. And that's exactly what he says next. Look at verse 12. Now we, believers, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us the things of God. Believers are indwelt By the Holy Spirit, one of the Holy Spirit's ministries in our lives is to give us understanding into God's word, what God has revealed. Those with the spirit of the world don't have that understanding, which comes in verse 14 where he says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So the word of God, the things of the spirit of God are what? Foolishness to the natural man. The natural man is the man without the Holy Spirit. The the contrast here is between someone with the Holy Spirit, someone without the Holy Spirit. The natural man and the spiritual man. So who is without the Holy Spirit? The unbeliever. Believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Thus Paul's entire point here, on to verse 15, but he who is spiritual as opposed to natural, so we're talking about believers, appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? The one who has been saved has been made new, has been dwelt by the Holy Spirit, clothed with Christ, given the mind of Christ, understanding into what God has revealed to us. That is, in essence, what Daniel is talking about being told back in Daniel chapter 12. If you turn back to Daniel 12, none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Paul talks about those who are spiritual and those who are natural. Here, same thing with those who have insight and those who are wicked. Insight equals understanding equals believers. Wicked equals natural equals unbelievers. That's what the Lord is telling Daniel here. There will be some who will remain in their sins and they will never understand what is coming or what is happening. You think about all the things that are going on at that period of time and you think how easy it would be to hand somebody a Bible and say, this is what's happening and there's going to be many, the wicked here, that are gonna just, I don't wanna hear it. That, that means nothing to me. But there will be others, and Zechariah thirteen eight tells us that there will be a third of the Jews who will understand and will have knowledge and they will get it. They will understand it. And it is for them that these words are for. 
Not for Daniel, not necessarily for him to understand, but for them to understand. Daniel is the conduit to present this information to them. It is that remnant, that portion that will prove to be the true Israel. They are the ones who will be saved, who will be rescued from this time. And it's that portion that he's referring to in the next two verses. Look at verses 11 and 12. And from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. What's he talking about here? He's talking about how long the righteousness, the righteous will need to last through these times of distress and what is in store for them. Now, if you're paying attention, you notice that we have some apparent discrepancies here, some different times that are alluded to and mentioned here. Look at verse 11 first. He makes mention of a singular event, and it's one that we've seen before. He says, the time, the regular sacrifice is abolished. The abomination of desolation is set up. That's one point in time. When is that? Well, we looked at it earlier when we read in verse 27 of chapter 9. In the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. This is the midpoint, again, of that 70th week. It's the three and a half year mark. Now from that time forward, how much time is left in the week? Three and a half years, 1,260 days, 42 months, right? That's the numbers that we've talked about before. Well, that's not what the Lord tells Daniel here, is it? He says 1,290 days. There's an extra 30 days here, one more month in the Jewish calendar. So why the new number? Well, 1,260 days will take care of of Antichrist. It's how long he has. It brings us to the end of the rule of the Gentile nations and the end of the great tribulation. Antichrist will be stopped at that point. He will be deposed. He will no longer be in authority. What happens after that? How is he deposed? Jesus Christ returns to earth and deposes him. There is no longer human Gentile leadership on the earth because the true king has come at this point. So that's the 1,260-day mark. Then what happens? Then the events in Matthew 25 happen. Look with me over at Matthew 25. We got plenty of time for this. Turn over to Matthew 25. Look down at verse 31. Matthew 25, 31, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So Jesus Christ here returns to earth and he sits on the throne and now it is he who goes about judging and purging the nations. See, at the end of this time, Antichrist has been deposed. He's gone. He's, he's, the, the, the armies have been defeated. But there's still people left on earth that have just lived through the tribulation. Many people who have gone through this time and they will be brought before the throne of the Lamb and they will be separated out. Sheep will be those who enter the kingdom, those with insight. Goats will be those who will not. They are the wicked. 
they will all stand before him and their future will be determined. And I understand that that event will take 30 days to complete. Now there's debate on that and it is impossible to be dogmatic about that, but that seems to make the most sense with these time periods and will account for that extra 30 days, the seeming discrepancy between 1,260 and 1,290. And people might ask, how can he get all that done in 30 days? And I would say, it's God. He could do it in a day if he wanted to, but there's 30 days for that to be done. So now look again at verse 12. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. Now we have another number change, right? We have another 45 days to account for here. Well, what's up with this? Well, again, impossible to be dogmatic about it. We just don't have that much detail about it. And I would say, again, that those in the tribulation are going to know how we know, why the extra 30 days and why the extra 45 days. But I believe the best explanation for this is that once the nations have been judged and the goats have been cast out and the sheep are all that remain on earth, there will be a 45-day period during which the kingdom will be set up. This most likely will be the time period for establishing the order, the government system, assigning duties, probably a whole plethora of details that will have to be worked out at this time. And again, in our minds, we think to ourselves, how can a government be set up in 45 days? That's impossible. Well, fortunately, Jesus Christ is going to be in charge of that. So if you think government doesn't work, just wait until Christ is in charge of government. It's going to work. Because then at the end of that extra 45 days, what do we have? We have blessing, right? Those who are blessed, who have attained to that time, at that time is when they will walk into the kingdom of God. That time has finally arrived. That's what Israel has always been waiting for. That's what we are all waiting for. This is the first promise of blessing that God has for Israel in this book. Pretty remarkable considering that it started with what? God giving the nation over to the Babylonians for captivity. And at times, uh, and, it, or, and, it, and it ends with the promise of blessing in the kingdom. That's the last promise for Israel. But there's one more promise for Daniel. Look at me at verse 13. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and arise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. The Lord tells Daniel three things here. One, go your way to the end. Live out the rest of your life, Daniel. There's nothing more that he has to tell him. Daniel has lived an impeccable life, a godly life, a life that has been spotless before God, so much so that God has called him highly esteemed. And I'm not going to say that Daniel had no sin. Obviously, he did have sin. But he was a man that God called highly esteemed. And now, towards the end of his life, he's commanded by God to continue on living his life as he always had, faithful to the end. I think that's a message for all of us. Live out our lives being faithful to the Lord, no matter what, all the way to the end. There's no retirement for the faithful life. Our retirement is when we're with him in glory. Another thing he says here is, you will enter into rest and rise again. Daniel's promised resurrection he will die on this earth, but he will rise again someday. That's the hope. 
that we all have as believers in Christ, as those who belong to God, as his children. Even though we may enter into rest, we will rise again. And the last thing he says is for your allotted portion at the end of the age. There will be reward for him. When Daniel is resurrected, he will enter into that blessing, that same kingdom that the sheep will enter into at the end of the 1,335 days. Daniel has that to look forward to, as do all that belong to him. We are all assured of a, of a portion, our allotted portion. If there's anything that we can take away from this book, other than the numbers that I told you about earlier, but if there's anything else that we can take away from this book, it's that we all ought to strive to live a godly life like the man Daniel. Daniel was a man highly esteemed by God because he lived a life without compromise, a life that he completely gave over to service to God, and God used him in mighty ways. And in the end, Daniel had nothing to look forward to except blessing and reward for all eternity. We ought to live our lives like Daniel, go our way like Daniel. Daniel lived his life with hope, hope for the future, hope that God would remain true to his word, and that's how we ought to live our lives as well, with our eyes focused on the future and the blessed return of our Lord and glory. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, and Lord, we just thank you for this book. We thank you for uh, Daniel. We thank you for the way that you used that uh, man in, in his life, Lord, in, in uh, service to you. We thank you for the truth uh, that we have in your word of the prophecies that you gave to him, Lord, and we just thank you for the time that we've been able to spend in studying it. Lord, we thank you for uh, just the hope that we have as your children. We thank you for uh, the future glory that we know uh, is coming, that awaits us, Lord. We thank you for uh, just allowing us to be your children and to live our lives in service to you, Lord, and we pray that we would be faithful in that, that we would just honor you with things that we do each and every day, that our focus would always be on you, our focus would always be on what, what pleases you, Lord, and, and what your will is for our lives, and just pray that, that we would live our lives in a faithful way. I thank you again for this time. I thank you for the next hour. Just pray, Lord, that you would be with us as uh, Josh brings us the word. Once again, pray that we would have a good time of worship and fellowship, and Lord, that we would uh, just honor you with our attentiveness to uh, the word being taught once more. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.